Okay, well, welcome everyone to this edition of Human Wisdom Live. And today we're going to explore a subject which causes so much suffering, which is depression. And depending on which statistic you're reading, it affects about one in 10 of us. And certainly over the course of our life, almost everyone will experience depressive symptoms. And studies suggest one in three women will go through a major depression, like a clinical depression. So, as, so my guest today is my friend, John O'Sullivan. John's a counselor here in England, and uh, we have worked together at Human Wisdom for a number of years. So welcome, John. Thank you very much, Manosh. Thank you very much. Okay. So let's get started with our first question, John, which is, what is depression? How do we kind of define it, or what's the experience of it? At this moment in time, there are so many definitions to what depression is. Mm. Um, you know, you, you will have certain um, psychological bodies who will say it's a, it's a chemical imbalance. You'll have certain people who, who, will, um, who will say that it is a result um, of events. So, you know, I'm depressed because I've lost my job. I'm depressed because I've lost my marriage. Um, you know, so what I'm trying to say is there's a there's a number of there's a number of standpoints on depression yes. and how it, and how it how it manifests. But of course, uh, defining it uh, is one thing, but the experience of it is pretty much the same, isn't it? In the sense that people feel a sense of sadness or a, uh, they lose out on the enjoyment of uh, life. Um, Things that yeah. they once enjoyed, they no longer enjoy at all. Any other symptoms that you can think of? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. People feeling hopeless. Yeah. Uh, when you lose hope, you tend to... All of your will, all of your zest for life, all of your want tends to disappear because you can't see a way forward. Yes. No. And it affects the... Our ability to sleep of course we either sleep too much at night or uh, in the daytime or not enough we feel yeah. tired every day and we can't concentrate and occasionally there are thoughts of self-harm or suicide John. yeah yeah absolutely and that's kind of part and parcel with the with the hopelessness and and if somebody gets to that point where they don't where they do, they lose their their ability to see any worth in themselves, in their own lives, that they have no worth, no value to either themselves or to people around them. Again, that's a, a, a major factor. Yes. And typically to diagnose depression, you need, there's, you can look it up, there's nine symptoms and you need five of those for at least two weeks, including a feeling of sadness almost every day and a loss of enjoyment. Yeah. And of course, it affects our sex drive or our libido. And yeah. um, you stop taking care of yourself too. It's just... Yeah. yeah. And as you yeah. say, the key thing is that it's very different from sadness. But it's probably on the same spectrum, do you think? Sadness at one end and depression at the other. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's normally, as you said, like those nine things that... Can, uh, that are factors in diagnosing whether somebody is depressed. 
but it can be just it doesn't have to be all nine it can be you know a number of just things. a few of them yes just a few of them yes and what are the common causes in your experience john among the patients you see common causes well again from when when we're when i'm dealing in the room uh with people it tends to be events that have happened it could be from childhood could be um you know so traumatic events from childhood abuse neglect um could be from failed marriages it could be from somebody coming out of a, an abusive marriage where they've been in a and shall we say a, a narcissistic relationship yes. um, and there's so many things like loss of a job even drugs alcohol um medications yeah. Postpartum, one in seven women who give birth experience depression within the first um, six weeks. Then there's, of course, physical illness. You know, it's common, commonly associated with chronic pain because, you know, yeah. I used to be a spine surgeon. I had so many patients with chronic back pain, with depression or cancer, loneliness and just yeah. long term chronic stress. So there are many factors. And to make it clear what we're talking or exploring in this um, session is clinical depression. There's, of course, depression linked to psychosis like bipolar disorder, and but we're not going to kind of cover that here. We're looking at the common one, which is a kind of reaction to what's happened. But we yeah. were discussing when we met that there is another type where somebody feels they've got everything in life. They've got a good house, a wife, kids, you know, good job whatever it might be, but they still feel depressed and they can't find an obvious cause for that. Yeah. So they fill their life with many things, you know, quite often many material things. And at, at the same time as the material things, they may be getting a lot of uh, accolades and a lot of affirmation from external to themselves, but within themselves, they feel empty. Like, what's the point? Why am I here? Yes. Um, that so kind of... We've had quite a few guests just join us. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to use the chat. John and I are going to speak for about 30 minutes and then open it up to everyone for their comments and questions. And we have some really interesting people on the call and I'm going to... I'm looking forward yeah, to hearing I'm through them. here. I'm seeing some really... Uh, yeah. Excellent. Interesting okay. So... In that case, for that person who has everything and feels hopeless or depressed, it's probably their own inner emptiness, which they can't reconcile or they can't yeah. understand or make sense of. See. Yeah. I mean, I find a lot of people, I work with a lot of people who whose self-worth is, is virtually non-existent. So and more often than not, they're looking for that worth, they're looking for that value that meaning external to themselves. Yes. So they're not recognizing that they, you know, that they are a, a good human being in, uh, and that's innate to who they are. They're seeing it that, that they have to get external affirmation in order for them to feel like they're a good person. Yes, yes. Maybe that, maybe this is a good time to highlight this unconscious feature in our own thinking 
where our mind is always looking for external approval or mm. validation to feel good about itself. Mm. It's hardwired into our thinking and we're not aware of it. Mm. So I need something from the outside to make me feel good on the inside. But whatever, yeah. if it's not forthcoming, if I can't find that, then that's one reason for depression. Or mm. if I do find it, it lasts five minutes and then it's gone. <laughs> Because the nature yeah. of pleasure is such that it's only short-lived, right? It's fleeting and it's gone again. Yeah. yeah. So Very I'm constantly on this hamster wheel where I'm always looking to the outside yeah. to feel yeah. good on the inside. Because again, it's, it's, it's somebody not recognizing themselves as being enough yes. within themselves, in and of themselves, you know. It comes back to that value. It comes back to that self-worth, that self-knowledge. Yes. of knowing who you are. Yes, I remember speaking to someone who'd been depressed. Well, you know who that is, John, but someone who'd been yes. depressed for 30 years or more. And I asked yeah. her, I said, what's the one thing that was the most important thing that helped you get better? Yeah. And she said it was self-knowledge. Self-knowledge. <laughs> Which is really and what human yeah. wisdom is, is all about. You know? Yeah, um, yeah Absolutely. Okay. There's a stigma to depression, John, because 60% yeah. of people with depression, this is from statistics, and there's a research paper I read, don't seek help for their depression, either because they don't accept it themselves or they can't bear for anyone else to um, think that they might be depressed. There's a huge stigma attached to it. Why is that? Why is it different from another illness like diabetes? I think it could be, in many cases, an admission um, of failure, a feeling that they are that they have failed in some way mm. by admitting that they are depressed. Yes. Um, so I think that's where some of the stigma comes in. Um, some people, uh, as well, for them to even acknowledge it. Yes. You know that they are in a depressed state. It's almost like my ego is going to take a hit. Absolutely. If, you know, I'm yeah. less than I thought I was. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so either it's my own ego that I can't bear to believe that I'm, you know, because we spend our lives projecting this image of ourselves to the world. We carefully build this whole structure up for everyone to see, which is a mask, really. But yeah. behind that mask are suffering continues and i'd urge anyone who's in that state to acknowledge it to themselves share it with others because that's the first step on your journey yeah. to recovery right? without that you're going to be stuck where you are yeah i think rogers would refer refer to it as as the the self concept or the false self yes. um and so many of us um from childhood from the conditioning that we receive, step into that self-concept. Yes. Um, I met an army officer the other day, and he yes. said, he was from the Indian army, which has got like, you know, million or two million people. And oh. he said, nobody in the Indian army acknowledges that depression is a problem. And I'm sure that's true for armies across the world. You know, yeah. because you have to project, what I mean is that, Admitting to your employers that you might be depressed is mm -hmm. a 
again, a huge cause of concern or anxiety for so many people. Uh, All right. Yeah. Again, you remind me there of a, of a friend of mine um, who's former army, and their take on it was, was uh, if they'd had a good day, they would go and drink heavily. Mm. If they'd had a bad day, they would go and drink heavily. <laughs> so whichever, 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 whatever happened, they just went and got drunk. And but much of this as well was because they were feeling pretty low anyway. So when we're feeling down, we use alcohol or drugs as a way of numbing the pain, but yeah. that actually reduces our ability to help ourselves even further. Yeah. So it takes us even further down the spiral where we find it difficult to come out ourselves. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit, John, about how we start getting better. Say you're a person who's depressed. You're in a bit of a dark hole. You, you know that you can't help yourself. You feel sometimes you can't get out of bed. I mean, it can be really, really bad right? for some mm -hmm. people. No motivation to do anything. Yeah. Uh, what are the first aid things that we can offer people in that situation? The first aid that you could offer. Mm. What was the first thing you could do? For example, you know, my friend Jondi, who's on the call, and I'm sure we'll hear from her shortly, um, talks about tapping and havening. So tapping could be either here, just on your shoulders, or alternately here, like there. Or yeah. uh, if you're in a crowd, just um, here on the back of your hand, uh -huh. um, you know, in the in this um, little thing, just here, you can tap there. I hope I'm doing it right, John D. Uh, and uh, or havening. Havening is where you it's a soothing action going from your shoulders down. Uh, so it's just a way of coming out of your thoughts yeah. and connecting with your body. I, I, I think it is so hard when somebody is truly depressed for them to to be able to even think of um, doing something to help themselves. I mean, we know that going for a walk, you know, in the countryside or, or, or just going for a walk generally, you know, to start your body moving, to start some energy moving in your body, that is going to help. But if somebody's in a truly depressed state, they don't even want to do that. Yes. You know, so it, it's kind of, it, it is a, it's a, I think initially it needs that want yes. to change. Someone has, someone has to want to get better, right? Yeah. Yes. And that can be the hardest step because literally after that, it's putting one foot in front of another, in front of another. It's, it's a really slow process initially to come away from that depression. Okay. Maybe it's a good point, John, at this stage to ask another question, which is suppose you're supporting somebody who's depressed. Yeah. What's the good thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do in that situation? Well, the wrong thing to do is what we all know is uh, like snap out of it. What the hell's wrong with you? There are starving children in Africa. There are there's 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 so many people who have it worse than you. So why are you, you know, what right have you to be depressed? Yes. So suppose that's the wrong way. And it's the, the other way thing that, that doesn't work.
work and often makes it worse is if you come up with lots of suggestions. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. why don't you do this and why don't you do that? And why can't you go for a shower? And why can't yeah. you get out of bed? And come on, you can, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think the reason I was talking to somebody the other day who explained why it doesn't work is because you're already feeling so terrible about yourself. Yes. So if someone comes along and starts giving you advice, it reinforces that saying, oh, you're useless, you don't have. So I think the yeah. first thing to do is just to be present. Be there, be present, give someone a hug, say you love them, you care about them, and you're just yeah. there. And then gradually, once they've accepted that you're there without judgment, then mm -hmm. as they start opening up and beginning to talk, that's the beginning of their recovery, see? Yeah. And as you say, to be present. Because quite often as well, when somebody's in a depressed state, they're either in the past or they're in the future. Yes. They're either events that have happened to them have brought them down to a certain place, uh, regrets and such and errors from the past, and then that's imprinted onto the present and then onto the future, where it starts to look like a very bleak um, future. And maybe this is also a really good point to remind ourselves and everyone that the person who's depressed isn't consciously depressed. No. They, they don't have want no to. control over what's happening. They don't want to be depressed. And they have no control. Or It's like being in a fog without any boundaries. So you can't even reach for anything to anchor yeah. yourself. So they've lost all the ability to help themselves and get out of this predicament themselves. And I think... Yeah. I don't know what you think, whether you agree, but I think it's an automatic way the conditioned mind has responded to whatever's happened around it. And because the reality is so painful to accept, the nervous system just shuts down and withdraws. Yeah. And then you withdraw from people, from your relationships and all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard um, Jim Carrey talking the other week there and uh, one of the things he said was really interesting he was talking about this very area of depression and one of his psychologist friends had described it to him as deep rest uh, in other words taking a rest away from whatever character it is that you have created to fit in with society or with you know, that false self again that we step into and that deep rest was coming away from that and yes, it's a sort of withdrawal. having a break. Yes. And the person who's depressed withdraws from people, yeah. pushes people away who are trying to help them. Yes. And also feels really lonely. And feels really lonely. See their connection you know it's their depression doing that but they feel really really lonely too so it's a really dark place for lots of people which is why some of them think of taking their own life and, and some of them yeah. do you know you know self-harm yeah. absolutely yes absolutely okay. it is the hardest thing to to put that one foot first yes you have to make so that if first you're caring step. for somebody with depression to remind yourself 
how tough it is for that person you're caring for. Yeah. And your role is really important, which is there to offer support, be present, be loving. Yeah. And with all this understanding, maybe, you know, we can help people. Okay, so we've done some first aid. And yeah. in that is also some breathing exercises, but I'll refer people to the app. There's lots of breathing exercises there that you can practice. Again, it yeah. grounds you to the present. And then simple lifestyle changes, John. As you said, you started off with walking. Um, walking. But what about talking to people? Is that important? I think if you do have somebody that you can talk with, even somebody that you can sit with, you don't have to speak. Just somebody who you know is there beside you. Somebody who's, who's, you know, it could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be your spouse, or having somebody. Or some. A lot of people find having having a dog or a cat or, you know, something like that very very. And if you can, of course, get speak to a counsellor or a therapist yeah. or, you know, somebody in that. Place. But many people have to build themselves up to that point. To that, yes. Even to go and see somebody is an admission that, oh, you know, there are lots yeah. of steps you have to take. And yeah. if you're someone who's listening to somebody who's depressed, please, please do two things. Firstly, don't ask them why they're depressed, because they often won't know. They and secondly... Know. Um, don't try to offer advice. No. You know, no. do Just the be, job of listening it. without judgment. It's really hard, isn't it, John, to do that? Yeah. Respecting that person. Just respecting them where they are. You know, being with them, being present with them. Being allowing of them. Being unconditionally accepting yes. of where they are. Yes. And who and they are. There are other things we need to do, which is eat a good diet, make sure we sleep on time, get up on time, do some meditation. And again, there's some meditation modules in the app that uh, are a good guide. And I'll show you around all that in a second. Uh, and maybe schedule things so that every day you have a diary and you say, I'm going to walk five minutes more tomorrow mm. or do a breathe, you know, whatever. At 10 o'clock, I'll do a breathing exercise. At 12 o'clock, I'll go for a walk or whatever it might be. Um, I okay. think it's finding things as well that bring you hope. Hmm. You know, when we, when we recognize that when we're in a depressed state, what we tend to think of is, is that this is it. This is it forever. There is, there is no way forward. There's no way out of this. Hmm. But the simple fact is, is that we're on a rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles per hour, spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. And everything, literally everything is changing all of the time. Mm -hmm. When we can recognize that, you know, everything around us is changing, even though it might be so slow, it's like watching the hour hand on a clock. Mm -hmm. It is changing. It is moving. And we will change and we will come through this. We can come through this. Yes. It's like it's hanging, hanging with it. Yes. Be there, stay in there because you're going to get Staying it. in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there, of course, if you've got any thoughts of self harm or suicide, you really need to get professional help. Um, yeah. you, know, you shouldn't stick with that uh, on your own. Uh, okay. But the key thing I wanted to explore, which is 
what really helps with the long-term recovery and getting out of it is to change your thinking because it's our thinking or the automatic way our mind reacts to things that have created that depression in the first place. So by being able to change our thinking is when, you know, things start changing. But maybe the first thing we need to do, John, perhaps is to take ownership of what we're feeling and stop feeling like a victim of our circumstances. And that's really hard, isn't it? That first step. That, that, that is hard. And I think a good way, a useful way to do that, to start taking ownership. For me, it's to take some of the thoughts that we're thinking and put them onto paper. Yes. Because what we're doing, um, right, I'm going to quote Einstein. I know he's not a psychiatrist, he was a physicist. But one of the things he said once was really, well, many of the things he said was really useful, but this was brilliant. You can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created the problem in the first place. Right. So, for example, if we are depressed because of some events or some things that have happened, what tends to happen is, is we tend to circle these things. So we're going around in this hamster wheel that you described earlier. And it just goes round and round as we ruminate further on the problems. If we can put those ideas, those thoughts, those beliefs onto paper, yes, we've now externalised them from here, where they're just rolling around in our brains, onto the paper. At least now you've got a fighting chance of being able to at least challenge those thoughts or take a look at those thoughts a bit more objectively. Yes. a bit more free thinking. So say someone has left me. Say my wife, I love somebody has mm-hmm. left me. Yeah. Um, or someone I love has died. And I'm blaming them for how I'm feeling. That's not me personally. Yeah. My mind is automatically doing that. Yeah. I spoke to a, psych- a psychologist in, in America called Martha Van Dam, and she's worked with me as well on this module we're creating for depression. So on her desk, she's got a big bunch of keys in a bag. Okay. Right. So she opens this bag and asks the patient or the client to pick one. It's the client, there's no idea what she's doing. So she picks up this key. And Martha then tells them, look, this is really precious because you have in your hands the key to your own recovery. Wow. And if you feel like a victim, you're giving that key to somebody else. Wow, I love that. Don't give that key, guard it preciously, because you have the key in yourself to recover. And so that is a really nice way of, doesn't matter. Yes, people might have wronged us and all of that, right? Yeah. But what we're doing here is saying, I'm going to take ownership of how I'm feeling because then I can change how I'm feeling by changing how I think. Yeah, yeah. Because again, so often we're looking to the external, we're looking to outside of ourselves for somebody to come and fix us. We're looking for a guru. We're looking for, you know, because we're believing ourselves to be wrong. We're believing ourselves to be broken. Yes. Yes. More often than not, we're not. No, absolutely not. And if you take ownership 
then you can do something about it. I mean, that's the main thing. Because otherwise, the external event's not going to change. Your wife's not going to come back. No. Someone who you love has died isn't going to come back. So does that mean you're going to be like this forever? And, you know, life is precious, it's short. We have a gift of life. We need to make the most of it, right? So, okay. Yeah. All right. So that's the first thing. I think acceptance is such a useful um, thing as well, John, to get over things. Can you think of an example the importance of acceptance? Acceptance. What we tend to do in our lives is, is we, if you look at our lives, if you ask somebody to tell them about, your, about their lives, it's a series of stories. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of narrative that goes the right way through their lives. And what happens is, is because we are fallible human beings, mm. we make mistakes mm. and we fail. Mm. And we will behave sometimes in ways that we really wish that we didn't. And we others will behave people. badly too, John. So well, yeah. But, everybody but is imperfect, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But we ourselves, we believe ourselves to be less than. We believe ourselves to be not as good as others. We believe ourselves to have failed, to have made mistakes. And then because of those mistakes, we are now damned eternally, yes. you know, and held in that place by guilt and shame that we can't escape from it. Yes. Or someone has wronged us. And we, again, oh, yeah. and that's another the acceptance of something that cannot be changed. When we can accept Yes. When we can accept ourselves as we are, mm. all of us. Yes. Because we all have our shadows, if you will. Yes. But when we accept our self in our entirety, unconditionally, and the same unconditionality that where, um, where a mother or a father loves a baby, we yes. love that baby unconditionally. Yes. You know. It's that unconditional acceptance of ourselves, of our whole selves, recognizing that we're not perfect, recognizing though in, we might not be perfect, but believe it or not, we've got a lot of good things within us. Yes. We have our love, we have our peace, we have our joy, we have everything that we need within us, yes. but we lost sight of that. Okay. But the other thing is that sometimes things happen around us that people really struggle to accept. Yes. Like bereavement or the loss yeah. of a job or I failed an exam or yeah. I've done something wrong and it's in the newspaper. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Think of politicians. I mean, those their, their lives are really, really hard, um, yeah. constantly being scrutinized. So again, acceptance of something that cannot be changed Yes. A deep acceptance allows you then the energy to do something about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now we've written all this stuff down. It's out of our head into the journal. Maybe it's also useful to look at all that and see how can you look at everything slightly differently? Or can you think of things in a more positive way? Because our mind only looks at things in one way, usually negatively, and especially if you're depressed even more so, right? Mm -hmm. So just to change our narrative, how can somebody do that? Or question their narrative or their stories they're telling themselves? How can you question your narrative? It's not easy. 
I am useless, for example. Yeah, I am useless. Well, these things require, the way I look at it, these things require evidence. Mm. So when somebody says to themselves, I'm useless, mm. okay, prove it. Show me the evidence. Even better, show yourself the evidence. If you can prove that you are indeed useless, mm. you know, but you know, a lot of the time when you ask somebody to to prove that they're useless or to show themselves that they're useless or prove to me that you're useless, they can't. Yes. The reason they can't is because there is no evidence to support that they're useless. They might have made mistakes, but they are not useless. So as you've written all this stuff in your journal, you've made 20 points, you know, 20. So for every thought you've had, Think of a more positive, more generous way of looking at the same. Yes, situation. that's another good way. Yeah. Or to question whether that may not be true. You know, because yeah. there's always many ways of looking at the same situation. What's another way? What's a more positive, more generous way? Or yeah. could my mind, could I be wrong? Could my mind be lying to me? More often than not, yes, it is. You know, could my perception be mistaken? And I think just asking those questions, now that you've written it all down in your journal, is the beginning of your own recovery. Um, what about negative self-talk, John? Because that's a very common trait in someone who's depressed. Yeah, we are our own worst critic. This is fairly well known. Yeah. And because we believe that for some reason we don't deserve better. Yeah. We don't deserve to feel any better. Yeah. So that negative self-talk, I mean, that can be through a number of reasons. I know myself when I've experienced it in the past and I was racked with shame and guilt because I was a, the worst son in the world, yeah. in my mind. And when I was in that, nobody could convince me any different. Right, right. You so, know, as far as I was concerned, I was my own proof. <laughs> so, again, use the journal. We have an online journal in the app, of course. Use the yeah, journal brilliant. to challenge your own negative self talk. I think that's really important. A lot of depression occurs because of unmet expectations, because yeah. of disappointments in life. Right? Mm. And I think one of the ways we need to move forward is to question our expectations. First, to understand where they come from, make it, write them down, and then why have they not been met? And of course, we blame others or ourselves. We blame somebody for those expectations not being met. And that can often be a trigger for depression as well. We're disappointed with our life in some way. Yeah. If it's expectation on yourself, it's normally because we have an expectation of ourselves to be perfect or yeah. to be better or to be better than somebody else or to, you know, whatever that might be. We kind of set the high bar. Um, uh, if you're an Olympic athlete, we kind of set the high bar at, say, 10 feet where no human being would be capable of jumping over that high bar. But we set it there anyway. And it's this kind of you know unspoken expectation that we have to be better. And then every time we we run up to that high bar, 
and run at it as high as hard as we can and then sail underneath the bar and land on the mat and look back up and go, ah, oh, failed. Yes. Failed. Okay. So we can begin to question our expectations of ourselves and yes. ask ourselves, are they reasonable? But similarly, yeah. question our expectations of others. Because yeah. our mind automatically assumes that others are going to behave in a certain way. Yeah. And to again, take ownership and realize they come from us, those expectations. Yeah. So we are the architects of our own sorrow, if you like. Because yes. my expectation is causing my suffering, but I don't see that. I think you're causing my suffering. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just that clearly is so important. Yeah, because most of the time, other people, you know, when we have these expectations on other people, they're not having the same value system or the same expectations that we are. So yeah. that when we have these expectations on other people, and then they don't meet those expectations, then we think, well, we, we kind of take it personal that you know, this is a slight against me, that the reason why they haven't, you know, they haven't met the mark here, they haven't done what they said they would do. Yes. The truth is that probably, like most of us, so completely self-involved that they didn't, you know, we weren't even a factor. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things I've really learned that's helped me is to keep on minimizing my expectations of others, just to accept that human beings are imperfect, they're going right. to disappoint you, and you just have to take it in your stride and keep going. Because mm -hmm. the moment you start getting hurt or get take it personally, that's when you're going to uh, go downhill. Okay. Yeah. I read a beautiful quote, and maybe we should, uh, we'll, this is our last point in this thing about changing our thinking. Naomi Williams said, you cannot be grateful and depressed at the same time. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know? Yeah. So I, I love that quotation because, and I know it's a cliche, but when you're depressed, the last thing you can do is ask yourself, or you feel like doing, is saying, what can I be grateful for? Yeah, and, and we have to start sometimes very, very, at the very, very basic of things. Yes. I'm grateful because I'm breathing. Yes. I'm yes. grateful that I can see. I'm grateful that I have a reasonably functioning body. Yes, yes. or I can hear. Yes. I, that I can hear. I'm grateful that I've got my senses. I'm grateful that I've got this wonderful brain. Yes. I'm grateful that I, you know, then you can expand from there outwards as to, you know, I'm grateful that I've got a roof over my head, that I've got this computer screen, that I've got, you know. Whatever it might be. You know, I worked as a surgeon, John, and I saw many people at the end of their life gasping for breath. So I was holding their hand yeah. while they passed away. Uh, mainly people with cancer and so on. And when you're in that last phase of your life, Wow. gasping for breath yeah then you really realize the importance of breath you see totally. so we can realize the importance of it now just hold your breath if you can for two minutes or three minutes and see what that feels like yeah and then you'll realize ah something so as you said start with something so simple like your breath be grateful yeah. and as you 
use the journal and write down all your all the things that you can be grateful for. I think that can be so helpful. And of course, this discussion has not been comprehensive, but I hope it's given everybody, uh, those who might be listening, who might be depressed or uh, some framework on which to at least begin their own journey. And in the app, we're going to have a detailed module on depression. So I, I think for, for me, um, whether it's a depression or any other psychological challenge it always starts with uh, our thinking isn't it yes mm-hmm. 100%. It, it, it's all about the thinking and and it's a pattern that we have created through yeah. our thinking um, yeah. we can say conditioning we can say unconscious conditioning we can say um, there, there, there are many factors you know but at the end of the day even things like challenging that thought. Yes. When you are in that state, challenging that thought, instead of chat, I don't think we are in a in a place where we dare to challenge that thought. Actually, we are fearful of challenging that thought. Yes. Because we have grown accustomed with that thought, which is on overdrive, which leads you to that state of yes. depression. Yes. It's a really mm. good point, Gopalan, that if you repeat something to yourself long enough or often enough, it becomes your truth. Mm. And, you know, even when you're not depressed, mm. it's really difficult for people to change any thought they might have because we've become automatically attached to our stories, our thinking, our patterns. So maybe we all need to start right now, even if you're not depressed, by beginning to question our own thinking. <laughs> because when you're depressed, you lose even more agency, right? Your capacity to do that is even more diminished, you see? I think I think it's not even losing our... I don't think we even lost the agency. Mm. It's just that we believe that we have lost it. Ah, good point. Good point. Thank you very much. John D, do you have any insights? Because you treat a lot of people with this and you see a lot of clients. John D is my friend from Atlanta in Georgia. Hi. Well, so many good points here. It's hard, hard to know where to uh, begin, but I, w- I, I think I would like to begin by reinforcing some of the things that I have also found to be true that your other guests have which is we we do get attached to living in the past and the future because there is this idea that we would like to revisit or we felt better then or we'd like to go back and change things. We have all this magical thinking, which is another word for that, I suppose. But we also have the same idea in the future. You know, what might we do differently? How will it look when I finally get fill in the blank? You know, and so it becomes... Uh, sometimes an attitude of, well, I don't like this, so it doesn't feel comfortable being here. So I'll go back to what I know, or I'll go to where I want it to be. And if I can't, then that collision is uh, can feel very depressing, or at least uncomfortable, and I don't want to be here. And so we began to withdraw from ourselves 
not just the present, but ourselves, also our relations that may or may not be supportive. Um, we also withdraw from our resources. You know, I often talk about Dr. Siegel, when we flip our lid, we don't have access to our resources. We are all over the place. Yes, yes. And so we can't even take what we know. And, you know, to John's point earlier, you know, if you're depressed, you're, you're not feeling like taking action. That is one no. of the things depression robs, which is why we have to be somewhat like the fireman. We have to practice practices that quickly bring us back into a regulated present state so that when the alarm goes off or the trigger match is made or we hear or smell something that takes us away, we know our boots and our equipment and everything is right there. It's been placed properly right there so we can jump in. So we are making a new pattern of response versus allowing a continued or chronic pattern of reaction. You know, but we have to want that, which was one of John's earlier points and yours too, Manoj. We have to want to not be in this habit which was no doubt formed for a very good reason. I just don't know what it is yet. That would yeah. be my t-shirt that I wear. Jandi, such a good point that everybody, every human being needs to practice that fire drill, as you said, mm. or on this journey of learning about themselves, how their minds work. Because when the trigger comes and you, you, you're lost, then if you've practiced and done all that work, firstly, you won't get back into that state and all you might be able to come out of it much more quickly. But nobody who gets depressed ever thinks it's going to happen to them, right? Everyone thinks it happens to other people. It's never going to happen to me until it does. And then, you know, it's a bit late. So thank you for that. Um, any other comments? Uh, Murli Dhara, you had your hand up, but I didn't hear from yeah. you. So Yes, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I have a question. If uh, a person uh, knows you, if he keeps saying that he's under depression, yes. First is, uh, how do I how do I know that he's really under depression, or is he simply saying it, or you know he's assuming that he's under depression, and what I should do? Okay. So I think. If you go online, and actually soon we'll have it in the app itself, there'll be a module on depression. There are nine symptoms of depression. There's a way of diagnosing it. So that's an easy one. Um, and I can send you that um, list, actually, if you, um, if, you, if you send me your email uh, or put it in the chat. So there are nine symptoms of depression. You've got to have them, five of them for at least two weeks, and that's a clinical diagnosis of depression. So that's number one. Secondly, how can you help somebody? I think we talked about it. Is firstly, be present, listen, offer support. Don't offer judgment, criticism, even advice and help in the beginning is not easy, not, not very difficult for someone to hear. Yeah. Then let them slowly start talking. Ask them if they would like help. And if they would, then of course we can find people who can help them. And Maybe you can use some of the things in the app, which is the breathing exercises, the journaling, all of those things. But um, in the beginning, the person needs to want to be better. And I think that's that's the most important thing you can do. 
Um, John Lee, anything to add to that? Um, to, you know, when you've got someone who's depressed, how can you begin to help them? What do you do? I was just smiling for a minute there because, you know, I I just concurred with that point. But the last thing anybody wants to hear is really have to want it, right? Because you've just accused them. You know? So keep that one to yourself. But the, the idea is let, you just gave that, let, right? And manage the place where we always meet is sit with, and in this case, that means them and their truth and the place where they are and allow or let them come to whatever that is. You might delve into that later as, you know, this, John, this is where you started again is, do you have a sense of what it is that you want? And then that takes me back to our friend in Portugal, right? John, do you have a sense of what it is that you do want? And let's sit with that, because often I just want to say that this conversation is primarily not about clinical. This is about the pervasive fog, as you say, that all of us encounter at some point. And so that means that most of us are quite unclear. What is going on and what do I really want and how do I get there? Yes. Right. And so by sitting with, as Manoj would say, and also the human wisdom app is very helpful in that quietly slowly small bits of questions to ponder i would use that word instead of thinking right because pondering is sort of an active really thinking and our reactive patterns are a a lie we are not really thinking we are just performing an autopilot function and calling it thinking and also maybe to realize you've got to preserve that relationship with that person mm. Because if you lose the that relationship with the person who's depressed, then something really bad's going. You know, that's some that's a tragedy because then that person really needs you. Um, and sometimes being critical of them and so on, um, uh, yeah, can damage that relationship. It, it often proves the evidence that we were talking about earlier. Their false evidence, you know. Many people say false evidence appearing real fear, right? But it preserves that evidence of, see, I knew they weren't safe. I knew they didn't really think a lot of me or love me or they're not really going to be safe, right? And so you are so right, Manoj. Uh, we have to preserve the relationship, if it's important to us, in a way that is respectful, not only of them, but I'm also going to point this out, of ourselves. We are not a doormat we are not inviting abuse right it is not the same so i think we need to look yes, at that yes, spectrum yes. that's an area we haven't talked about but someone who's depressed can treat other people quite badly sometimes and if you're the receiving end of that that can be really hard and maybe you have to draw some boundaries um uh, thank you for that john d um as you say, you could talk all day about this. Um, any other comments at all or questions? Um, or if you want to put it in the chat. Um, John, do you want to come in with any of those points about helping people and anything else? What about the, the, the depressed person who's abusing the people around them? How do we manage that? That's a hard area. Um, because the tendency would be for the people around them to just not want to be around that kind of low mood, that that sort of 
you know, uh, whether it be passive aggressive behavior or whether it just be outright aggressive, like get out of my house, get out of my life, get out of my way kind of approach. Um, and I think it is the hardest thing for people when they don't understand what might be going on within somebody who is depressed at that moment in time. And it's the hardest thing to just give them some space to allow them to be, you know, as the professionals who, you know, on here, um, you know, we know to, to, to hold a space for a client to, you know, we're not trying to force anything. We're allowing them space to open up and to be able to be who they are. But for those of us who, who, who haven't had that kind of training, it must be incredibly hard to be present with a person who is not wanting to communicate, not wanting to be with anybody. But at the same time, I would bet they still want people there. They still want to feel loved and still want to feel that they have something there. But at the same time, they're pushing people away. Yes, so, it's a very, very tough challenge, isn't it? Yes. It is. So I've got a direct message from one of our listeners. I won't mention the name, but there's a question. Uh, it says, I'm a student and I feel like I feel left out. I feel alone, like I want a break from my life. Mm. And I sometimes want to cry, but I'm not able to do so. I have a lot of mood swings. Mm. And for some time I'm happy and good, but then I get quite depressed. Mm. What do you think we could offer someone like that, John? I would say if they're feeling like they want to cry, but they're stopping themselves from crying, allow the tears. So often, a great deal of our problems are because we will not admit the feelings that we're feeling. If we're feeling angry, if we're feeling frustrated, if we're feeling sad, if we're feeling whatever that might be, it's so important to acknowledge that feeling, to accept that feeling, and to express that feeling. Yes. Okay. You know, and we don't. We, 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 we repress it rather than expressing it. And when in doing so, then we make ourselves feel even worse. You know, when you're not sure what's going on, I like this line from Rumi where he says, leave that field where you have the problem. Let's go to another field where there isn't a problem. And all you're doing there is learning about yourself yeah. and how your mind works. You're not even thinking about the problem. And on the app, for example, we've got the wisdom exercise section. Just gradually, gently start understanding your thinking, your feelings, yeah. how your thoughts connect to your feelings. And as you learn more and more about yourself, sometimes a problem can just disappear. You come back to the first field and the problem is gone. Yeah. yeah. There are breathing it's exercises. It's a problem, we call it a problem. problem. It's only a problem whilst we call it a problem, whilst we maintain it as a problem. Yes. Um, so, as I said, for someone like that, uh, just go on a journey of through the app. You start off with breathing, develop mm -hmm. a calm mind, 
journaling, write down everything. Yeah. Um, then learn about how your mind works, do the wisdom X, and gradually you'll find that the problem will you'll you'll come to your own understanding and you'll solve it yourself. You really don't need um, anybody else unless you're, as you say, in that dark fog. Okay, well, um, so thank you everybody for your time today and uh, Joao for your insights and John and Gopalan, John Lee and all my friends. It's been most illuminating uh, and I'm sure will be helpful for a lot of people in the future. Um, yeah. Thank you and have a really good weekend. This podcast comes to you from the Human Wisdom Project. To find out more, please download the Human Wisdom app or visit humanwisdom.me. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.